Welcome to Landmark Worship Center's audio podcast. We hope that this message will inspire and encourage your life. So open your heart and mind and receive what God has for you today. I want to uh, continue teaching on who is my neighbor, uh, talking about, of course, reaching souls. And as we reach souls, we basically call, uh, biblically, reaching souls is uh, being a disciple maker. Everybody say disciple maker. Disciple makers are unique. Disciple makers are different. Disciple makers uh, have an others first attitude. Others first attitude. You can't, you can't be a disciple maker. Uh, what do we mean by disciple maker? We're talking about reaching souls and trying to lead them closer to Christ, show them the way and how how to find a closer relationship with God, closer walk with God, help them to find salvation in their life, help them to repent, learn what repentance means, asking God to forgive them, uh, learning and leading them to a baptism in water um, and leading them to the power of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues and leading them to walk a holy life, a life of relationship with God. And and a disciple-maker, a soul winner, a disciple-maker has an other's first attitude. If we have a... It's only about me and only me and me first and me this, me that. And then we're not going to be able to be the proper disciple maker that we need to be, the, the, the soul winner that we need to be. Can I hear an amen? It is a other's first attitude because it does require a lot of sacrifice. It requires a lot of work. It requires us reaching out beyond ourselves and reaching into the lives of others and showing them a a. a Uh, direction toward the Lord. Now tonight, as we talk about disciple-making, we talk about uh, reaching souls, uh, ministering to people's lives, Uh, this tonight is is the heartbeat of God. Uh, We're talking about the heartbeat of God. We want to know what the heartbeat of God is. Talk about souls that are lost. He said He came not to to, uh, reach those that are well but those that are sick. He came to reach those that are lost. And uh, he even left the 99 and went after the one that was lost. And that I consider as uh, right here in the prodigals. Uh, this is the heartbeat of God right here also. Uh, we want you to continue to put names in this vase. It's prodigals. This is the heartbeat of God. And as we pray for them, pray for these names, pray for these souls, God is is um, reaching, and we've seen the results of that. So we're talking about the heartbeat of God. Neighbors and strangers come in all different walks of life, different looks, different personalities, different upbringing, different ages. Uh, I remember when I, I've talked a little bit about this before. Some of you heard it, some of you haven't. And as Brother Smith said, if you've heard it before, you don't remember it anyway, so I'm going to say it again. Um, I remember when I first came to the Lord, um, I didn't know how to look like a Christian. Matter of fact, I wasn't a Christian when I first came to the Lord. 
I, I didn't know that much about living for God. I'd seen my great-grandmother and, and different ones uh, made the choices to live for God and walk with God, and, and uh, they were full of the Holy Ghost, and I'd seen the powerful experiences of their lives. And what a beautiful thing that it was, but I, I didn't know anything about living for God. And uh, I remember uh, the only the only dress-up clothes I had at that time, I, I wore, of course, most of my clothes were Levi's and green Converse tennis shoes with yellow shoestrings in them because that was my school colors. And uh, that's all I knew, you know, and and uh, just a old denim shirt or something, you know. That's That was way back. And you remember those belts about that wide and about that thick? three-eighths thick, and they had all these leather designs on them. That's what we wore back then. So, um, And and then the only dress-up clothes that I had at that point, uh, I I probably wore them one time, but uh, my mom wanted me to wear them to church. So uh, I don't know where in the world she bought these shoes, but they were like saddle Oxford shoes. <laughs> and... Uh, uh, I can't remember what the what the suit looked like, but she wanted me to dress up. I'd never dressed up before like that before. Maybe once in a while as a child, you know. But um, but she wanted me to dress up, so I didn't. You know, I I just looked like me. You know, that's all I knew. And uh, but you know, people people came up to me and just took me in and loved me, cared about me, and let me know, hey, I'm here for you. And uh, they showed me the way. They were disciple makers. They they showed me how to pray. They showed me how to worship. They showed me how to how to love God, how to love other people. They showed me how to uh, read the Word of God, how to get into the Word and put the Word in me. Uh, they were disciple makers. They taught me how to be faithful to the house of God. Um, they they led me into the prayer room and. And we prayed, and the power of God came down before the church service even started. The Holy Ghost came down in such a powerful way. We were speaking in tongues, and the power and glory of God was flowing even before the church service started. And I do believe that that's what sparked the service. And uh, that's one thing that is very, very important for our church is our focused prayer before we uh, have service on Sunday mornings. Uh, The focused prayer, the power of God that begins to flow within the church and we begin to get caught away in the Spirit of the Lord even before we have our teaching and have our worship and have the preaching of the Word. We're already engaged with God. Uh, and it doesn't just start here. It starts at home. Amen? Am I out here on this limb by myself? No, I know I'm not. But but it starts with us at home. It starts with a lifestyle of, of prayer and Word and Worship. We we can worship God in our homes also. We can pray at our homes also. We can feel the power of God come down. There can be a revival, move a revival spirit in our homes, in our in our bedrooms, in our living rooms, in our kitchens, uh, in, uh, in the garage. I mean, we can feel the power of God driving down the road. You felt it. I've felt it. I've, I've spoken tongues in my vehicle driving down the highway and feeling the glory of God just fill that place. And God's spoken to me so many times at those experiences. But, you know, when people come to God, they're, you know, it's not, you know, 
they come in a lot of different styles, different looks, different nationalities, different personalities, different upbringings, different ages. And this church, um, I know the heartbeat of God is for this church, Landmark Worship Center, to reach out to all, all types of people. Nobody to be excluded. The Lord didn't exclude. I'm glad He didn't exclude uh, people of coming to Him because I probably would have been excluded. I did, you know, I wasn't like everybody else. I didn't look like everybody else. I didn't have the personality like other people. Uh, you know, I, I, you know, I didn't have the upbringing that some of them had. But thank God that He didn't, uh, He didn't uh, say, okay, you can have it, you can, have, but you can't have it. You can have it, but you can't have it and separate us. No, He said, come unto Me. Come unto me. He gives the invitation. But underneath all of these different looks, different personalities, different upbringings, different ages, different nationalities, different looks, underneath we know that there is hurting hearts, broken hearts that need Jesus. And when we, we as a disciple maker, we bring them into a closer relationship of friendships and and bring them closer to a love of God uh, and, and love for His Word and love for His Spirit, we're going to show them a, a healing process in their lives. It's called disciple-making. Jesus was accused, as I mentioned the last uh, time we taught on this lesson, Jesus was accused of being the friend of publicans and sinners. Of publicans and sinners, Matthew eleven nineteen. Um, the question here is, when we look at ourselves, is there evidence in our lives that we could be accused of the same? If if I would ever be accused of anything, let them be. Let me be accused that I am a. I'm a disciple-maker of people that might not look like everybody else, people that might not even smell like everybody else, might not uh, uh, have a personality like everybody else, or the character or whatever. Let them accuse me of uh, getting my hands dirty and reaching out into the people's lives and, and ministering to them to the point where um, uh, that they come to a to a higher level in the Lord and come to that point of relationship with God, a love relationship with God. You know, that's what ministry is. All of us, we minister to people and we become a disciple maker. And you're taking them from one level to a higher level. You're, you're bringing them to a point where their life can be healed. Deliverance can come to their lives. They can be healed of, from alcoholism. They can be healed from drug addiction. They can be healed from adulterous lifestyles. They can be healed from the hurts and the pains and the struggles of life. I thank God for that and I know that because I am, I am one of them and Many of us, probably all of us here tonight, we have been there also. Thank God for someone being a disciple maker and leading us to Christ. Amen? I thank God that someone took the time to to pray for me and my family, to pray for our lives, to reach into our lives. When we didn't didn't look like everybody else, we were way out there. Uh, But thank God for that. I've got a friend I've talked to you about before. Uh, he uh, now he is a pastor in Missouri. 
But talking about being way out there, I remember when he came to church for the first time. I remember him and his wife and their kids lived in the woods. I'm not just talking about the edge of the woods. I'm talking about way out in the woods. And I remember my pastor going out there to teach him a home Bible study in a, in a, in a nice vehicle. And he said, I drove down these paved roads, and then I came to a turn. You know, the kind of turns in Missouri, you like turn at the brown cow or, uh, you know, cross over the uh, stock fence or, uh, you know, turn at that big tree uh, that's, you know, two trees together. That's how we, that's how we talk in Missouri, you know. Um, that's the only language we know. <laughs> but... He was turning. He said, I, t- I went down this paved road, and it was pretty nice, and I got to this uh, other road. It was a farm road, and he turned down it, and it was a little bit less smooth. It was still paved, and then he went down to another road, and he turned there, and, and he got on this this gravel road, and then he, he was told to turn at this other road, and there wasn't even a street sign at that point, and then he started going out into this through this gate and out into this field and he said uh, uh, it was bumpy and then he got to where he got he turned another area and he got going out in the woods and, and he got way out into the woods and he said they didn't even have electricity out there they had lanterns and he said he walks in and he sits down in the house they led him to a chair he sat down he said it was dark they had candles they had lanterns out there and, and uh, he said he sat down and he said his, he was going to teach him a Bible study and he said all of a sudden he saw something move by his feet, and it was a gigantic dog. He said, I didn't even see it there. I didn't even see it when I walked in and sat down, but then it moved, and then I saw it, and it's about scared me to death. But he said he had a Bible study with them and talked to them and discipled them. And, and uh, today, those, those great people of God are pastoring a great church in Missouri and doing a great work, and God has blessed them uh, many times over with some beautiful things in their life. But they... They came a long way. Someone took the time out of their schedule to reach into their lives and be a disciple maker of their lives. But there was a lot of people might have said, no, can't do that. But it takes for a disciple maker, it is a life of less of me and more of you, God. That's the kind of life it takes to be a disciple maker. Jesus did not choose disciples just like him. When you look at the disciples that he chose, they were a variety of type of men. Um, some were tax collectors. Some were fishermen. Uh, some were rough and tough. And, and uh, you know, you consider some of the ways of some of them. They were just different kind of men. But he took them in and began to teach them and show them the way. He, he himself was a carpenter from Nazareth, from a town called Nazareth. Uh, most of his disciples were fishermen near the Sea of Galilee. They were rough. They were tough. But they gave their life to walk with God. And he discipled them. Despite their differences, he befriended them, invested in them, and made loyal disciples of them, even to the point where, yeah, they had failures. Peter himself failed the Lord. He even told him he was going to fail. Uh, you know, you're going to fail me three times. And he failed him. But yet, who's the one that got up on the day of Pentecost and preached the, the message about uh, 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 the infilling of the Holy Ghost and baptism? 
repentance. Who, who did that? That was the one that failed. Thank, thank the Lord for His patience and His love. Thank the Lord for, uh, you know, He didn't choose those that were exactly like Him in order to uh, make them a disciple, but He chose those that were hungry. They were thirsty for a drink of water from the well of living water. If we could only, if we could allow this sanctuary of worship to be called a neighborhood, who, who would we, who would you allow to become your neighbor sitting in this sanctuary here tonight? You know, I know a lot of times people, people say, well, you know, you move into a neighborhood and, and you want good neighbors beside you. I know I've, I've said I got a house up for sale next to me right now and, uh, I was thinking, I hope we have some very peaceful, quiet people that move into that home <laughs> so I can have some peace and quiet. And uh, I, I remember one neighbor that lived there. This goes beyond the ones that live there now, but, uh, I mean, he he was kind of a wild guy. He he uh, had a go-kart, and he had his kids, and he, they would get on that go-kart and just buzz up and down the street through the yard and all the way up and down the alley. And, I mean, this thing was buzzing around, and you could hear it all. And they were good people, no doubt. They were good people. But, you know, sometimes you just want peace and quiet. But if we can allow the sanctuary of worship to be called a neighborhood, who would we allow to become our neighbor? I would pray and hope that you would allow anybody to be a neighbor of worship in this house of God, no matter who they are. But... If this was a neighborhood, who would you permit to move in and live right beside you in in your neighborhood pew? I would hope that it would be anybody. That we would love everybody. Because that is what God wants for Landmark. for Not just Landmark, but His church all around the world. He wants us to love everybody because He loves everybody. Let me go back here and say, if we want to be Christ-like, then we've got to act like Christ. He loves everybody. He, he loves the Haitian. He, he loves the Frenchmen. He loves the Germans. He loves the Americans. He, he loves the, the, the man or woman that's laying on Bourbon Street right now in New Orleans, Louisiana, that has no home. He loves them. If Christ would love all people, then why shouldn't we? And I believe that we do. I believe that we do. Who are we willing to worship with? Who are we willing to pray with? Who are we willing to share our life with? Who are we willing to put our arm around and say, Hey, you know, I'm here for you. I'm your friend. Who are you willing to lay hands on in prayer and pray for their needs because they're struggling and they need some help? They need a friend. And I do believe that our church has proven that, that we do love people and we would reach into any life. But who is our neighbor? It's those that are in need. That's who our neighbor is. And we've, we've talked about the, the Bible story of the Good Samaritan and uh, how that there was a man in need and he had been attacked by thieves, but yet they uh, some passed him by. They weren't being a good neighbor to him, but there was one. The Samaritan stopped. He was a good Samaritan. He stopped 
And he took time out of his schedule to reach into his life. Jesus was speaking this parable for the purpose of that this is what he wants for his church. This is what he wants for his church. When guests walk into our worship space, they're looking for three things. They're looking for unconditional love. That's what I was looking for. They were looking for unconditional acceptance and to picture themselves as belonging. That's really a picture of what I was. I just wanted to belong. I just wanted to. I wanted someone to care. I just wanted someone to, to love me and be my friend. But when we look at this story, uh, the, the, the greatest human need is to feel like you belong. And everybody walks through these doors of this church belongs. Because God wants us to feel that way, and we want people to feel that way. So considering the Good Samaritan story, not everyone we make as a disciple is going to be just like us. If that's the case, then we might as well stop here we got more of us. We got more things to deal with than anything else, and that is, we really need to go to an altar prayer and get the love of God in us. If, if, uh, uh, if, if people that we disciple have to be exactly like us, then we're missing the point. Not everyone we make as a disciple is going to be just like us. We tend to, of course, gravitate toward people like us. That's common. That's a human thing. And, and you know, the old adages that have been said, uh, kind begets kind. How many have heard this? Birds of a feather flock together. You ever heard that one? The old adage. Uh, water seeks its own level. And you attract what you are. These are some old sayings that, that, that we try to, sometimes we incorporate even in our lives. And if we incorporate that into our being a disciple maker, we're losing the mark. Not everybody that we work with to be, and, and to, to help them to become a disciple of Christ is going to be just like us. Those we reach out to will be different than you in many ways. We need to connect with people that God places in our path. Because God will place people in our path to reach out to and minister to, even if they're different than us. Not everybody that we disciple is going to look just like us or act like us, talk like us. If our disciple-maker lenses only allow us to perceive the needs of people like us, then we've totally missed the mark of what God is trying to do for His church. A church that has revival and, and reaches out to souls is a church that reaches into people's lives no matter what type of background they're from, how they've been raised, what their personality is like. You know, we, we reach into their life and try to help them because someone helped us. Amen? I guess one thing I will ask here tonight is... How many here wear glasses? Raise your hand. Okay, we got a few here. Wear glasses. All right. 
Um, how many here like to hunt? Raise your hand. Okay. Got a few. How many like to fish? How many, uh, I'll get you right here. How many pour milk in your hot chili? Raise your hand. Timothy, you do that? Sometimes? <laughs> That's my son. So how many pour hot, how many pour milk in your hot chili? Raise your hand. Oh, I knew I'd get you there. Nobody? Just me and Timothy? Well, I guess, I guess I can't help you, and you can't help me, because you're not like me. You know why I pour milk in my chili? Because it's hot. That's how I started. I poured milk in my chili because it was hot, and it cooled it down. That was when I was a kid. Now, and then I got to the point where... And you, I know you're going to be upset with me because it's just not like the way you do it. But, you know, I'd take crackers and crumble them up in my chili. And then I'd pour milk over the crackers and the chili. And then just mix it all together. And it cooled it down. You know, um, you could say, I don't like that. But raise your hand if you've ever tried it. See? How do you know that milk in your hot chili is not good because you don't eat chili well let's think about this here now if we use the principle that if the only ones that I'm going to be able to disciple and reach are those that are just like me then I can't help any of you because you're not like me and I'm not like you we can't help each other but that's not the way God has designed this thing you know, He's designed it so that, that we can reach into the lives of people that are just, you know, that might be totally different than us. And, 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 and it is a challenge for me to reach into someone's life that might be different than me, that might be quiet, that might be, that might be loud or whatever, to reach into their life and to minister to them and help them in some way or another, even if they're not like me. They might think I'm weird. You might think I'm weird right now because I pour milk in my chili. Guess what? I'm the most normal person here. Is that right? <laughs> no, we all think, we, a lot of times we think we're all normal. But, you know, there's people out there that are hurting, that are struggling. They're, they're different. But they need God. They need help. They need a friend. They need someone that will care about the needs in their lives. And you know, I went from being uh, really different, and when someone discipled me, coming to the church, finding God, finding a relationship with God, and it changed my life. The power of God's Spirit in my life changed me. It ministered to me. It, it helped me to grow in ways that I never, never even thought that I would ever be able to grow. And that old person that didn't want to go to church before, after I received the power of the Holy Ghost in my life, it changed me to the point where you couldn't keep me out of the house of God. And that is still in me even today. That was back in 1977. That was a long time ago. But here it is in the year 
of 2019 and you still can't keep me out of the house of God. You still can't keep me out of the presence of God. It's changed me. It's delivered me. It's set me free. It's given me something in my heart and in my soul that I can't get away from. I love the presence of God. I love the Spirit of God. I love the power of God. I love the supernatural. I love the miraculous. I love to hear the testimony. And we've got testimonies in this church of people that have been healed by the miraculous power of God. We have testimonies in this church of where God has set them free, brought them from a mighty long uh, way, and brought them to a point of relationship with God. We've got drug addicts that have been delivered. We've got alcoholics that have been set free. We've got people that have been down some long old roads of of ungodliness and un, and 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 wrong living but God has set them free because the Lord takes interest in those that are hurting thank God and that's what God wants us to be when we come to the house of God yes he changes us he ministers to us he 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 gives us a new way of thinking a new walk but one thing that we as children of God should never ever lose it doesn't matter if you've lived for God since 1977 or even before that one thing we should never lose is that love for souls that love for people that are that are in need that are hurting we should never lose that we should never get to a point where God has blessed us so much that we think that we're up here and those other people are down here and I don't have time to get my hands dirty. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. He was, Jesus was, uh, he, he walked on this earth. He got down to where they were at. He was a friend of publicans. He was a friend of sinners. He, he even went home and ate uh, a meal with, with a sinner. Can you believe that? Because his passion was souls making disciples. And not everybody's going to be like us that we reach out to. They don't have to be exactly like us. There's such a uniqueness, even in this room right now, there's a uniqueness of how God has touched your life and the journey that you have been on and for Him to be able to bring you out of the struggles of life and where He's brought you to the house of God and you're living for God, He's brought us a long way. But even now, there's a uniqueness about each one of us. Thank God for that. The disciples, they weren't all alike. They had similarities because they had been taught by Jesus. But they were different than each other. And we're different than each other. But one thing is common with us. We love God. We received His Spirit into our lives. We took on His name. Amen. And what a beautiful thing that it is to live for God. But what a beautiful, one of the most, it's a beautiful thing to live for God, but one of the most beautiful things about living for God is when you reach out to somebody else and show them the way to find Christ. And they receive the Holy Ghost. And they receive an experience in God that changes them. That is one of the most beautiful experiences of all time be able to see someone that you have discipled grow in God 
And then the thing about disciple-making is not just for them to grow in God, but for them to go on and reach somebody else and make a disciple also. That's what discipleship is and disciple-making is. Jesus instilled into the disciples, and they left their boats and left their uh, tax-collecting tables and, and left the thing, the old ways of life and followed Him. He taught them. And guess what? When He left, guess what happened? They reached others and made disciples. And guess what happened to those disciples that they made? They went on and they made disciples themselves. And then guess what happened to the disciples that they made? Then they went on and reached someone else. And, and it just kept going even down to this day. Today, uh, we are a product of disciple-making. To instill into someone's life how to live for God, how to walk with God, how to grow in God, and then also to instill into their life, go and make a disciple. That's really what it's all about. Amen. We must be all things to all men. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, the apostle said this, listen to what it says, To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. We might not be able to reach all, but we can reach some. We can reach some. So Paul was saying here, he said, I am going to become weak. To, to the weak became I as weak that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. He had a heartbeat after the heartbeat of God because he was wanting to make disciples. And whatever he had to do to reach out, he was willing to sacrifice in his own life to be able to reach out to souls. And, and that's exactly what he did. The behavior of the Good Samaritan was in, in that story, the beautiful story of the Good Samaritan. The behavior of the Good Samaritan was similar to the initial behavior that a disciple maker must have when engaging in a potential disciple. Let's look at that story here just a moment. He walked across the street, leaving his side of the street, and came to the opposite side where his neighbor was. Guess what the others did, the, the, the priest and the... And the other, they just kept walking by and didn't even stop. The Levite, the priest, they just kept walking by. They seen him laying there. They seen him hurt. They seen him hurting. But the thing about the Good Samaritan, which is a similarity of how we need to think as a disciple maker, is the, the, the uh, Good Samaritan walked across the street, leaving his side of the street, and came to the opposite side where his neighbor was, the one that was hurting. That's what, it, that's what it comes down to. If we're going to reach out to people and help people along the way and, and, and reach souls for God's kingdom, uh, we've got to be willing to step off of the side of the road we're on. And yes, it might be an inconvenience, but get on the side of the street where those that are hurting are. Yeah, another uh, 
attribute of the Good Samaritan is he assessed his new neighbor's condition and immediately knew what to do. He knew that he was hurting. Some thieves had, had hurt him. If they left him there, he might have died. I can't leave him laying there. So he assessed the situation of his, of his neighbor laying there on the, on the road, uh, the Good Samaritan did, and he knew exactly what to do. I've got to help him. That should be the constant response of a child of God, that I've got to reach out to those that are hurting. I've got to reach out to those that are struggling. I've got to reach out to those. There's people in this world right now, and maybe even we've come in contact with today, that have been through such some of the hardest struggles of their life. Hurting inside. Maybe they found out their relationship with their spouse is coming to an end, and they're hurting. Or maybe they found out that they lost their job, and they're hurting. Maybe they can't pay their bills, and they're hurting. Uh, maybe they uh, have heard from the doctor that they've got a sickness that is incurable, and they're hurting. They're struggling. They need help. They need someone to pick them up. But the Good Samaritan also, he made a commitment then when he found out the condition of the man that was laying on the road, he made a commitment then to trouble himself with the trouble of another human being. Going out of his way to pour oil and wine out of his own resources to bring forth healing in the man's body. Another attribute of the Good Samaritan is he bandaged this man's wounds. He lifted him up on his own beast and he took him to a safe place to recover. If he had left him there, he would have died. How many souls are out there in this world right now that are hurting and struggling and if we leave them out there and don't show them the way to Christ, they're going to die lost. We've got to reach. We've got to love. We've got to minister. But, but the Good Samaritan, he knew exactly what to do. He paid the innkeeper also out of his own pocket and would follow up if there were any other expenses. He said, I will make a follow-up. I will come back. I will make sure that, that everything's taken care of. I'm going to take care of this man because he's in need. He's hurting. He's struggling. And I want to make sure that he survives. All of these actions perfectly describe the attitude, the assessment, and the actions necessary to be a disciple-maker. When we answer the question of making a disciple, then a chain of events begin to unfold. And we look at the story of the Good Samaritan and the man that was hurting. And we begin to tie this all together with disciple-making. We must get on the same side of the street that the hurting's on. When you begin traveling with a disciple, you've got to expect to slow down and not arrive as fast as you could traveling alone, it, it will slow you down. You can't go as fast as you thought you could go because you've got someone there. You, you know, if you go too fast, you're going to leave them behind. But you've got to disciple them. You've got to lead them. You, got, you don't drive them. You've got to lead them. You've got to show them the way to Christ. You might want to get to uh, that prayer meeting quicker, but, you know, you're, you're, you're a disciple maker. You're leading an attribute of a disciple maker. Your journey will take more time being a disciple maker 
it's going to cost you more money being a disciple maker. And it's going to involve more responsibility being a disciple maker. Your Christ-like spirit of love, forgiveness, and acceptance will be the oil and wine to your disciples' spirit, the healing for your disciples' spirit. It's going to be the thing that's going to reach out into people's lives. Amen. There's a lot of people in this world that feel like nobody loves them. It might be hard for us to fathom because we have family, we have friends, we have a church family, we know people love us, but there's people in this world that feel like that absolutely nobody cares about them or loves them at all. That's where we come in. To show them the love of Christ. Amen. Others in life have beaten this man laying on the road. But with your love, you can help restore them. The love of Christ. It's not something you have to work up. When you have the Spirit of God in your life, it is something that naturally comes forth out of your life. Disciple-making, soul-winning, touching other people's lives, helping them to climb to a higher level in God. When you choose a neighborhood to move into, you know what you'd look at? Uh, you look at the school system. You know, if I'm trying to buy a house in a certain neighborhood, I look... I look at the, you know the schools. I want to find the best schools for my kids. I want to uh, uh, find the location where we can buy groceries. Is, is it easy access? Can we get there easily? Uh, what about the property values of the houses in that area? Are there, if I choose to resell, am I going to be able to resell or this or that? Um, uh, you know, and, and we check out our neighbors too. We if we find a house we like, we got to, we like to look. Okay, what about the neighbors? What kind of neighbors are they? Do they? Do they, uh, you know, are they going to be good neighbors? When you choose a neighborhood, you 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 actually choose neighbors. When you choose a neighborhood, you 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 choose the neighbors around you. But this is the unique thing about about it. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but when you when you find a house you like and then you want to move in, you you look you choose the neighborhood. You choose the neighbors. But think about this. But once you move in, you cannot choose your neighbors anymore. Once you move in, they choose you. Now they're looking at you. Are you going to be a good neighbor? Are you going to be a good neighbor? You see, in this world of being a disciple maker... It's about reaching out into other people's lives and being a neighbor to them and loving them and showing them the love and mercy of Christ. We are an ambassador of the Lord and the Spirit of God that is within us and the Word of God that is within us. It is a representation of the Lord. So when we show somebody the way, we're being a disciple maker to them. It takes time. It takes sacrifice. It's worth it. Matter of fact, there's a sign in our house. Uh, my wife bought it several years ago. And it, it says, I never said it's going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. 
Never said it's going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Everything we do for the Lord, it might not always be easy. Reaching out and touching people's lives and helping them along the way, but it's going to be worth it in the end. And I close on this. Joel prophesied in uh, the Old Testament, and it has been reemphasized in the book of Acts, chapter 2, the prophecy of Joel. But Joel prophesied God's Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. All flesh. God didn't pick and choose and say, you can have it, but you can't. You can have it, but you can't. You can have it, but you can't. He didn't... um, he, he didn't uh, he didn't pick and choose who could have it and who couldn't. But Joel said God's Spirit would be poured out upon all flesh. All flesh. And thank God for that because the Spirit was poured out upon us. And there's others that the Spirit is going to be poured out upon. It's a beautiful thing to be a disciple maker. There are souls out there right now that need God. They need the Lord. They're hurting. They're struggling. They just need someone to be there, to be a friend, and take Christ to them. The love of Christ, the mercy of Christ, and to take that move of God's Spirit to them and show them what Christ is all about. The love of God. Amen. How many want to be a disciple maker? How many want to be a soul winner? There's a lot of opportunities out there. People are hungry and thirsty. I'd like for us to stand. And no doubt there are people that you cross paths with that need God and that need a friend and that need salvation and need the Spirit of God that need the presence of the Lord. There's no doubt that there's people maybe on the job or in your neighborhood or or all around you that you've touched, crossed paths with. Your, your, your path crosses maybe once a week, once a month, maybe even every day. And there's people out there that need need help. And we have the answer. The answer is in the Word of God. And I'd like for us to bow our heads, if we would, close our eyes. We're going to take these names, these people before the Lord, because they're very important to God. They might be a family member. They might be a close friend. They might be your neighbor. They might be a very dear uh, loved one in your life. And they need God. And you can take that message to them and disciple them. I'd like for us to pray for them right now. Let's do that in Jesus' name. God, I pray for souls. I pray that you would touch their lives.